0: The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats, let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes of being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. A church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The poor business country gave in. Gave in to public pressure, gave in to political correctness, one of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with, is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very sobering subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with lots of material that you can listen to and you can read. For instance, we have Facebook. You can check out our fan page there. You can search us in the search bar when you type in the at symbol, mighty fortress 313 that page is growing more and more every day. We want to get that page past 5,000 followers. Be sure to follow us there. And, of course, if you are listening on our YouTube page or if you haven't listened to us on our YouTube page, go ahead and check it out and click that like button and help subscribe to the channel as well because it will help get the get the word out for Jesus Christ. You can also visit our website, ourmightyfortress.com. There we have a host of media where you're going to find written articles, videos, and of course, even a link to our merch store to help support the work. And if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website in the established PayPal link. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I want to talk about a very sensitive subject and really I could spend a very long time on this subject, but I have to really condense it in because there's a lot of lies that surround this subject, and it really is going to take a couple of podcasts to really break this out, but I'm going to do it in different ways. I won't make it a series, but I will just address this particular aspect, and that is alcoholism and Satan's lie. There are probably few subjects that incite arguments and chaos among Christians more than the subject of alcohol. There was once a time where, within Christianity anyways, that drinking alcohol was frowned upon and highly discouraged. But in the modern context, the overwhelming majority of evangelical Christianity believes that it's okay to drink moderately. As born-again believers, we face many trials and temptations, especially in the Western world. Everywhere one can turn, there's a billboard, TV commercial, or an advertisement that presents alcohol as, you know, not that big of a deal. When one thinks of alcoholism and the people who are enslaved to the bottle, there are many images that may come to mind. Some would envision the homeless man on the streets of any downtown city They would spend their every dime he or she had for their next bottle. Maybe some think of a personal memory of an evil abusive parent who was ever drunk in the eyes of their children who lived there. Whatever the image that comes to the mind with the word alcoholism, it is not what is propagated in our modern society and even within Christianity itself. As Christians, We believe that man fell into sin as given in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. This concept of sin was introduced by Satan himself to Eve who ate of the forbidden fruit and proceeded to give it to her husband Adam who then ate as well. Satan is called the father of lies in John 8.44 and he's ever trying to deceive Christians in the foolishness. We will look in this podcast at three particular areas of this study. We'll first look at what the science and psychological views of alcoholism is in general, but how Satan uses lies to deceive through psychology and modern culture. And then we'll look at alcoholism and how it can be dealt with through Jesus Christ and the scriptures. With that introduction, let's get right into this. As I said in my introduction, This is not going to be necessarily an extensive study in the subject of alcohol itself, but more focused around alcoholism and addiction and that type of thing and how to deal with it. There's been much extensive research done in the realm of science and psychology on the efforts of alcohol upon the human body. I mean, to begin, there's Several types of alcohol on each with their own alcoholic percentage content contained within. First, there's beer, which has about 6% alcohol, then wine, which is around 12%, and distilled alcohol, which can be upwards of 50% and higher. Among the world's demographics, it's demonstrated that men consume more alcohol than women, though women in more developed countries will drink more than women in non-developed countries. It is also found that, quote, whites are reported to have the highest overall alcohol use among persons from age 12 and over at about 54. Point, no sorry 57.4% and quote this was done through the alcohol research uh, center or current reviews of it the next highest category to note is the american indian/alaska natives with binge drinking at 30.2% With these kind of percentages what are the consequences worldwide because it's not that much better for each demographic but think of it like this there are over 3.3 million deaths every year due to the misuse of alcohol what is it that happens to a person's body that contributes to the massive amount of deaths every year alcohol is considered a depressant which means that it'll slow people's motor skills down and even their minds the effect of alcohol in the brain has been very much predictable, but there have been many behaviors from the result of too much consumption. The time it takes to affect an individual will depend upon a person's tolerance and amount of alcohol intake. Now, this is interesting because it doesn't necessarily depend upon body weight or whatever. It really is just the person's chemical makeup of who they are. I've known people who are smaller individuals, but They can drink a lot. I've known bigger guys who can't drink nearly as much, but they'll get wasted. You know, I was in the United States Marine Corps for a long time. We're full of drunkards. I used to be one. Now I've been clean now for 14, going on 14 years. If a person has eaten before the alcohol intake, then, you know, blood alcohol levels will be at a minimum until the food has been digested. Since alcohol is classified as a depressant, its effects on a person can make him or her you know, more tearful, and and to others, even physically pass out. There is also an effect that is distinctly associated with alcohol, and that is the person will black out or have memory loss after heavy drinking. Many physical problems can develop due to long-term alcohol use, and this can deal with a person's liver. Cirrhosis of the liver is the ninth leading cause of death in the United States and it has much to do with the consumption of alcohol. This comes from the liver cells being exposed to alcohol for an extended period of time and becoming inflamed and dying out. It should be noted that there is much medication that forbids alcohol consumption while in use. Now that's interesting. (laughs) This is because alcohol can intensify the effects of medications, which in turn can interfere with the working of the medication, and it has the ability to produce unpleasant and or dangerous side effects. More to the point of what happens when a person who's dependent on alcohol and wants to quit. There can be serious withdrawal issues. Now, this per- this is going to range because if I can illustrate it like this. Think of it like a monster's claw. However, you want to envision the claw. Think of it like pressed against a person's, say, back or chest, okay? And that claw, when you drink, the claw is alcohol. And when you drink, as time progresses, the claw presses further, further into, his, into the skin. Now, that time is relative depending upon the person, how much they drink, and how long, like the extended period of time. But ever so slowly, it, it just the claw just clenches further, further, further into the skin until it finally grasps behold you. And once the alcohol grasps behold you, it is a pain to get that claw out of you. It's a pain to put down the bottle. So when the person is addicted but has not progressed into the extreme case yet, They may suffer say milder rebound reactions, which can be sweating, increased heart rate, slight fever, nausea, vomiting. Some people could even experience the shakes, which can also be severe. um, And really that it's nearly impossible to drink a full cup of coffee without spilling it. These symptoms usually will go on for about 12 hours of the last time a person had consumed alcohol, but the intensity of them can be between 48 and 72 hours. Now, this is for the minor cases, but think about what I gave the illustration about the claw digging in. Once it's fully grabbed a hold of you and your body becomes addicted to it, then you can't just stop drinking. Your body will literally shut down. There are two drugs in the world that you just cannot quit or just quit cold turkey. One of them is heroin you have to be medically weaned off it. Otherwise, your body is going to shut down and die. The second is alcohol. Alcohol has the same effects. Once those claws have completely grabbed a hold of you, and this is why I gave the illustration of the claw, because even if you have milder effects, you can still put down the bottle and still be able to walk away from it. Let's say cold turkey. Just turn around and walk away from it. But once the claws have fully grabbed a hold of you and your body is Totally succumb to it you cannot put the bottle down your body will kill itself and that's where you have to go to a center to get medically weaned off when it comes to making the determination with the source of alcoholism there's a majority view still in psychology that alcoholism is a disease first the definition of a disease includes both physical failures of the body which can be harmful depraved or some type of morbid condition of any mind or society. Although there's a general consensus about this being a disease, the debate still rages medical science of alcoholism really qualifies as a disease or a syndrome behavior pattern or something else. Around the world, you can see the model of a disease or disorder. You know, you're going to see this as very prevalent. In a Chinese journal on the effects of alcohol in their society, it states, quote, similar to some typical infectious diseases, alcohol abuse has a strong infectious, especially for the social crowd and frequent contact. Therefore, it is often called social infectious diseases, end quote. There's also the Society for the Study of Addiction, which is based in Canada, that uses a little different terminology but with a similar meaning they say quote the formulation of alcohol dependence is or as a provisional clinical syndrome End quote a British Medical Journal article from the University of Liverpool in its study of the problem of alcohol dependency in the UK states that the prevalence of alcohol use disorders and how it's growing well it just calls it a disorder well, actually, in the U.K., there's a good amount of use of alcohol in society and dependency rates at 6% for men and, 2, and 2% for women in the population. Finally, there was a study done in Oregon testing the effects of alcohol on mice states that alcohol addiction is a complex psychiatric disorder influenced by environmental factors. Now, this is interesting. It says alcohol addiction is a complex psychiatric disorder influenced by environmental factors now what should be noted here is that the use of alcohol can create a physical dependency to the substance but what cannot be explained very well by science is the psychological addictions this is mainly due to secular science not understanding the effects of sin upon a person with secular medicine not understanding the root of how someone becomes addicted to some substance, how can they create a cure that will forever turn somebody away from their addiction? And this is the problem. They can't get away from it. And instead, they'll just call it a disorder. Although say that there's no way that you can ever quit. You're always going to be addicted. What does the Christian-oriented psychology and its integrated systems have to offer on this subject? Christian counselor Edward Welch states that, quote, heavy drinking is considered a disease, end quote. And advocates for some sort of particular medicine to treat alcohol abuse, they'll say, well, we have various psychological medicines that we can give you. Now, Welch also advocates for the particular use of memory work. That's a loaded term and for the pastoral counselor to walk people through their history to help them overcome their addictions. Christian psychiatrists Paul Meyer and Frank Minnerth advocate all sorts of treatments based upon secular psychology in dealing with various addictions. One example is given with the use of electric shock therapy. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) Electric shock therapy with alcoholics to get them to quit. They say, quote, alcoholics may be taken to a bar-like setting and given a glass of beer. And when they begin to drink, an electric shock is applied, thus conditioning a fear response to the alcohol. <laughs> oh, man. They go on to state that while this may be effective for, for those who want to quit, the opposite is true for those who don't. <laughs> yeah, go figure. <laughs> this, leaves, this leaves you wondering how this can be considered really a legitimate treatment, right? Now, there's a foundation, uh, or this is the foundation for the general views of science and secular psychology and some of its Christian affiliates. But let's move on to the next stage and look at the wiles of the devil, the lies of Satan, the deception of Satan. When one deals with addiction, then one must get down to the root of the cause, which is the person's sin but we'll talk more about that shortly. But first, the prime mover of sin has always been Satan. He was the one that introduced evil to Adam and Eve, who before that never contemplated disobeying God. Satan is still moving today by shaping and shifting our culture, making sure that men are aimed in the direction away from God. Our modern culture and The Western world particularly, it has just glorified the consumption of alcohol and tried to discount any adverse effects that it may have. Think about about it. Two drugs in the entire world that'll kill you if you stop once you're addicted. Heroin, which is blatantly illegal to use, right? But yet, here we are, consuming as much alcohol, more than ever, here in the Western world especially, it has been said that we do have a love affair with alcohol. That is true. Even within Christianity, the deception is prevalent. Now, medical science will state that the effects of long term alcohol use is harmful, but it will not go down to the root of the issue, which is the alcohol itself. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, and verse 8, it teaches us to quote, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. End quote. What's important to note is that a lion looks for those who are sick and those who leave the flock, but particularly the young. See, the young can be stubborn, proud, and have a tendency to step outside the protection of the flock. Such an interesting and powerful illustration given here, right? To give an idea how the secular world targets youth and the consumption of alcohol, let's observe some t- some statistics. According to an article dealing specifically with the social and cultural context of alcohol use, it states, quote, Research estimates that 38.5% of high school students have used alcohol in the past month and 20.5% of teenagers started drinking before the age of 13, end quote. By the time that teenagers are seniors, and they're already almost out of high school, over 75% have experimented with alcohol already. The use of social media to advertise for alcohol essentially changed the methodology of how to get the eyes of the adolescents and the college-age youth to glance and desire alcohol. That same article I quoted called Social and Cultural Contexts of Alcohol Use, it continues on that quote, one study found that by 2012, there were more than 1,000 alcoholic related sites on Facebook alone, end quote. Now, this article is a little older, but <laughs> this was done in t- uh, 2017. Now, a few years have gone by since then. Imagine now how much, and not to to mention, let's say, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all the, you know, Twitter, all the different social media sites that propagate this. These statistics do not reflect any type of religious-affiliated high schools, but there was a significant study done between four major Christian colleges that give a glimpse of how such techniques by advertising companies have succeeded. Though this study was done in 2008, one can safely make the assumption that the progression has only logically gotten worse. (laughs) The study found that, quote, students at Christian-affiliated colleges were not significantly different from students at secular schools in their daily alcohol consumption, end quote. Furthermore, the study targeted the Christian athletes who reported engaging in heavy episodic drinking at 30% uh, among men and 33% among women. In a comparable study on student-athletes in secular institutions, the rates were 61% of men and 50% of women, respectively. This study does not include the most conservative colleges. This study should give an idea of the pervasiveness of the alcohol culture, not only in the secular realm, But also in the christian realm these numbers should not surprise many christians due to mainstream evangelicalism just fully embracing the ability to drink alcohol all in the name of christian liberty the root of the problem lies with the idols of a person's heart and alcohol consumption is just one of those idols that a person has Instead of looking to God for help and direction in his or her life, an idolater will live a false belief that their idol will produce some sort of desired solution for a problem in their life. Satan knows the easiest way to get man away from God is to get them hooked on something. It could be anything. Pride is essentially the root of all sin. But you know what it is? It evolves into this idolatry of making yourself a little G God. So knowing the prevalence of alcohol in our society and the inevitable addiction that may come from it, and not to mention the terrible consequences, how do conservative Christian churches handle and counsel those who are in bondage to the substance? This brings us into our last portion how to counsel people in the local church Understanding that all of man deals with fighting against this idolatry, we can expect that Satan is going to throw everything he has to keep man from getting right with God as well. There are three tiers to addiction that can be manifest in a person's life that Satan can exploit. The first and primary are the heart appetites of man. This is essentially the battle that man has inside of him between the nature, his old nature, and the spirit of God, if he's born again, of course. Man, without God, will always choose the flesh and therefore fall into idolatry. Man's addiction begins with his rebellion against the one true God, and when God is not in a man's life, he will seek a replacement for that void. Next, we see the secondary level, which is man's reactions. These are how a man deals with the uh, his pain, and the void that's in his life, and the addictions that would eventually enslave him. Some of these reactions are anger, bitterness, loneliness, stress, rebellion, fear, pain, boredom. Edward Welch states, quote, Even with all the associated misery, people drink because on some level drinking does something for them. Their drinking is purposeful, End quote. The third tier is how man will medicate the temptations that he is going through. These can be alcohol, work, drugs, pornography, food, exercise, purging, cutting, risky behavior, shopping, sports, money, power, success. In dealing with our subject of alcoholism, it's important that we as preachers and counselors and laymen in the church deal more than just the tertiary level or problems as they're only the fruit of the sin but not the root even when counseling with more of a biblical root one can still end up dealing with one level as the primary source we have to make sure that we're dealing with the heart of of a, a person's issue if a person is chemically dependent on a substance Then they have to stop taking the substance immediately through a detoxification center this will keep any issues from happening uh, with the church if a person's going to go through withdrawals so like as i gave my previous illustration let's say the person's fully addicted well they're going to have to be medically weaned off and or let's just say that claws aren't fully grasped in yet but they're pretty well in and they're already enduring some pretty heavy withdrawal symptoms well Have them go to one of the hospital or one of those centers to help uh, go through that process and then meet with them afterwards. In dealing with those who are addicted to alcohol, the first step is salvation for the individual. There is no work that can be done until that is sealed because the individual will need the help of the Holy Spirit in order to stay clean. Once a person is saved, then you can teach them a practical theology in order to overcome their addiction. Edward Welch illustrates this point uh, concisely when a person is dealing with their addiction. He says, quote, Don't excuse it. That would simply encourage the self-deceptive consequences of sin. Confess as a sin against God. Look to Jesus as the one who shows grace and mercy to idolaters. Grow in faith by knowing God as He reveals Himself in Scripture. Learn to delight in obedience. Don't rely on yourself, but partner with and be accountable to wise people. Pursue wisdom and godly living. Realize that addiction, like all sin, doesn't impose itself on us unless we have been willing to entertain the seeds of it in our imaginations. End quote. Now that the sin has been identified and the effort has been made to take the step forward in faith, a more detailed plan is in order. A former addict must commit to learn the dynamics and the idols of his heart then complete a self analysis to identify all the areas of his struggle and what what he has to do arranging his time by working day by day on a calendar of what he must do to stay sober that day managing daily activities to support their counseling is going to help as well the former addict must be committed to stay sober no matter what the cost and there must be no compromise and no surrender. The person must also examine anything that may contribute to them having a relapse. This is going to include their friends and those they used to uh, say party with or hang out with or whatever. You just got to stay away from those people. And finally, the person is going to have to put this plan into action. The person must understand that they must watch for different issues during the first 3 to 12 months after they get clean. The first is that they're going to be emotional or or they're going to have some physical changes. Because of this, they must have a proper management of these changes and really a proper motivation to stay sober and clean. A person's spiritual life must change and become more detailed. God created the church in order not that we only be a light to the world, but also that we have fellowship with each other and being around like-minded believers. The former addict will find his path, his or her path, much easier if he or she gets involved with the local church as much as possible. Not that it becomes a crutch, but that it becomes a willingness to get further away from what they used to be. The preaching of the Word of God is what convicts men of sin and helps them become sanctified before God as they strive to walk with him. Besides the counseling they'd receive from a pastor or biblical counselor or other lay person, it'd be good for them to get into other types of ministries to participate, to help uh, build camaraderie and a rapport amongst the brethren, and also have the right kind of mind and heart, start building positive uh, things in their life. Also, Stay away, just abstain from Alcoholics Anonymous and those types of secular programs, because they're going to hinder the growth of an individual. Now, <laughs> you know, it used to, st- <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous started supposedly as a Christian entity, but it is not that, at least not anymore. And those who are honest or have been in those programs, oh, especially like Narcotics Anonymous or whatever. I mean, it's it's been taught literally at some of these programs. You can just put your faith in anything. Put your faith in the doorknob if you need to. That way you can stay away from drugs or alcohol. I mean, just absolute nonsense. So that person needs to stay away from the, the secular ideology. When the former addict feels tempted, it is good that he consider the words of one theologian, John Owen. He says, quote, Consider the end of any temptation. It is Satan's end and sin's end, that is, this dishonor of God and the ruin of your souls, end quote. It doesn't take long to notice how our modern society glorifies the unrestrained drinking of alcohol through every facet available. And even if a person is addicted, they can find hope and they can find uh, redemption, not only through salvation, but a giving back of their life through Christ and, and staying away from drugs and alcohol. When one believes Satan's lie on the opposite end here, there's just, and they take the moderate drinking route, the, the snare is set for addiction. It's better just to abstain, period. But even with some of the new brethren, or even those uh, brethren who are backslidden, who fall into this particular sin, through proper biblical counseling, that understands all three tiers of the idols of a person's heart, people who are addicted can not only become born-again believers, but stay clean from their addiction permanently. Though this is definitely going to be a difficult path at first because of the physical and lifestyle changes that a person has to make. They can succeed and they can have power and victory and growing grace to be able to walk in the spirit of God. The church can be the light and the church can be the outreach to show the lost and dying world that there is hope. And that somebody could find redemption and salvation and have their life given back to them through Christ. The church can help fulfill that part of the mission of the, the Great Commission and reaching out. Think about how Christ walked through the streets of Jerusalem and helped the sick and the, the poor and the needy and these types of things. And he gave them life. It's not much different from what we're supposed to do as Christians today and the church. So whether it's a homeless mission, or somebody who comes in for counseling, or a a Christian brother or sister who falls into this um, this evil sin of alcoholism, they can have hope and have the have their lives completely turned around. Are are we as a church willing to help those people come to the knowledge of Christ and grow in their walk in grace? I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.